Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we take the Word of God and preach a timely message from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church of Fallon, Nevada. All right, hey man, I'm going to go ahead and open us in prayer, and we're going to get right into the message. God, thank you so much for this day. Uh, Lord, as we look at what your Word has to say today about worshiping in spirit and in truth, God, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. Lord, first of all, for those who may not know you as Savior, that they will recognize that apart apart from having the Holy Spirit, there can be no worship. Uh, And God, I pray that they would recognize their need of of a Savior, uh, uh, recognize the need of salvation, and Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in you today. Lord, for those of us who are believers, I pray that you would help us learn to not just go through the motions of worship, but, Lord, that we would truly worship you in truth, because you are the truth. And, Lord, you've given us your spirit who lives in us so that we can worship according to the way that you desire for us to worship. And God will thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And it is good to see Mark actually is in the sound booth. So, Mark, we weren't sure if you'd make it. So glad that you made it today. Uh, We're going to get right into God's Word today. Uh, We're looking at uh, our series, Seven Commands to Draw Closer to God. And we're on uh, message number five in our series. And uh, and so today, uh, we are going to be looking at worshiping in spirit and in truth. You know, the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you received another gift. Not only the gift of salvation, not only did you receive forgiveness of sins, you also received the gift of the Holy Spirit. For us today, we receive the Holy Spirit immediately at the same time that we receive Christ as our Savior. It's a beautiful gift. Uh, With the disciples, Jesus commanded those who receive salvation were to receive the Holy Spirit, but it was after he completed the work of salvation before they had the full Spirit on them, Uh, because uh, it it was a time of transition. There were moments in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God would come on to to men for a time. Uh, David prayed, uh, you know, cast me not away from your presence, dear Lord, but renew your spirit within me. Uh, You have Samson who was filled with the Spirit and was able to do mighty acts from God, but it was not a permanent indwelling of the Spirit that didn't come until after Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and ascended into heaven. So for the disciples, it was a little bit different, and so they were commanded that they needed to walk in the Spirit, but it was also that yielding to the Spirit. We still have to yield to the Spirit just like the disciples do because the Bible tells us to quench not the Holy Spirit in First uh, Thessalonians. And, and that means that we have the ability to say, hey, God, I'm going to allow your Spirit to dwell in me and, and fill me completely, or I'm going to shut off the valve and I'm going to limit how much the Holy Spirit has His presence in my life. Now, the Holy Spirit's always going to be there. You have 100% of Him if you know Christ is your Savior, and that's never going to change. There's no second filling of the Holy Spirit. There's one time, and that's at the moment of salvation. Um, And you are baptized into the Holy Spirit. If you are with us on Wednesday nights, or if you go watch our services, we've been talking about baptism, and we find out that 
Most of the times when we see baptism in the uh, New Testament, it's talking about the baptism of the Spirit that we receive at the moment of salvation. There's a few times it speaks about water baptism, but it's so important for us to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, he showed unto them uh, his hands and his side. Where uh, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye. The Holy Ghost. And so this is the moment that they came to know uh, the Holy Ghost living in them. They were given the comforter because Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and to leave. Right. But up until this point in time, they didn't really understand the Holy Spirit. Uh, So the setting that's going on is this is after Jesus is crucified. How do we know that? Well, because he said, look at my hands and look at my side. So they saw the nail prints in his hand. And uh, and so he said he breathed on them and said, now you receive the Holy Ghost. Do you think if anybody was in that room that said, no, I don't want to have it, that the Holy Ghost would fill them? No, absolutely not. But I know that everybody that was in that room desired to have the Holy Ghost because Jesus had promised them a comforter that would come to them when he left them. Just to highlight a a few quick things from this, uh, notice when they met together, it said they met on the first day of the week. This was the first recording of them meeting together on a Sunday. And this is one of the reasons why we meet for church on Sunday. It's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday that we meet. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, This is also the first time that they saw Jesus after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. These are the first people to be filled with the Spirit, not in the temporal way of the Old Testament, but in the permanent way, as all believers from this point would receive the Holy Spirit. With this in mind... Jesus gives us a commandment that we need to understand today in the way that we worship and how God commands us to worship. So as we draw closer in our relationship with God and how we worship, let's look at come closer in spirit and in truth. So I I want to set up the scene leading up to this command that Jesus gives us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus had left Judea and was headed into Galilee. And he tells his disciples that he needs to pass through Samaria. I doubt the disciples understand, uh, understood his need to go through Samaria. Because if you know anything about Bible history, the Jews hated the Samaritans. But Jesus had a divine appointment that he needed to keep. And a lesson that's good for us today. And a command that he gives us that is still good for us today. He sends his disciples away to get food. And he makes his way to Jacob's well. While Jesus rests there, there's a woman who's coming to draw water from the well. Jesus strikes up a conversation by asking the woman to draw him some water from the well. She's shocked because he's a Jew. Asking a Samaritan woman to get him water. 
And not only that, she's coming in the time of day that women didn't usually come. Why? Because we know her story. The woman at the well was an adulterous woman, a woman that had many uh, husbands, and the relationship that she was currently in was an adulterous relationship. She was living with a man who was not her husband. And so it was not only a shock because he was a Jew asking a Samaritan, but also a shock because she was in the wrong part of the day collecting the water, and a man comes and says, will you give me water? Then Jesus continues the conversation. He tells the woman, if you knew who I uh, who it was that asked water of you, you would have instead asked me for water, and I would have given you living water. So Jesus is having this conversation now, and, and he said, would you give me water? And, and what, what are you doing asking me for water? Don't you know I'm a Samaritan? Don't you know that I'm a Samaritan woman? Don't you know that I'm a Samaritan woman in the wrong part of the day collecting water? Why are you asking me? And Jesus said, if you knew who it was I was asking, I would, you would ask me for living water. And Jesus continues and tells her that the water that he's speaking of isn't found in a well, but rather it's the living eternal water that satisfies the spiritual thirst. She then begins to understand and ask Jesus to give her this water. Before Jesus can give her this living water, he asks her a question in order for her to admit that she is a sinner in need of a Savior. He tells her, go and get thy husband. Which she answered honestly and said, I have no husband. Jesus already knew her situation. And then he points out her situation and her sin. He says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're living with now is not your husband. He called her out on her adultery. Jesus was willing to call sin what sin is. He wasn't ashamed to do so. But Jesus also had a purpose in this. He offered her living water, which is salvation, but also knew that she needed to admit and repent of her sin and believe that he truly was the living water. This goes right back to our very first message as we came into this series that in order to draw closer to God, you have to have a relationship with God first. And if you remember the very first command that we looked at, Jesus said, repent and believe. And so we see this same pattern right here. What is he doing? Hey, recognize your sin and repent of it and believe that I can give you this living water. Jesus then begins to get to the heart of the matter. He tells her that the day is soon coming that people will be able to worship the Father wherever they are. Not that they couldn't worship Him wherever they were then. He tells her that they worship, but they don't really understand who they worship, and that the Jewish people, they worship and understand who they're supposed to worship, but they aren't truly worshiping God either because they are worshiping, them, worshiping Him by their own rules. This is all leading to the command that we're going to look at this morning. And it's a command that we will both point this lady to the gospel and point believers to true worship. When we come to John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, listen to what it says. But the hour cometh, it now is. 
when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is the command. He says if you're going to worship God, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is no other way to worship God. You, you can't go through a, a bunch of uh, holy sacraments to worship God. You can't, uh, you can't punish yourself to worship God. He says, the only way that you can worship me is to worship me first in spirit and then in truth because those things go hand in hand. Jesus says that you've been worshiping and you don't know why. The Jews are worshiping, and while they know the reason, they don't actually believe the reason, but the reason is me. Because what did he say? The hour cometh, and now is. What hour? The hour of the coming Messiah. And he was the Messiah. He says, I am here now. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus is now bringing the gospel message and bringing what they need to do in order to be able to worship God correctly. The object of our worship is Jesus. Without his gift of salvation, the worship of God is nothing. Because without Jesus, salvation and the Spirit's power in our life, we can never come to the place of true worship. Do you see how even in our worship, the Godhead is involved in our worship? As we've been looking at on uh, Sunday mornings for Sunday school, you looked at the Godhead a few weeks ago. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one and true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They're equal in uh Sorry, they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Why, they are all part of this. They're part of our worship. We cannot worship God without Jesus, and we cannot worship God without the Spirit. We can't have the Spirit without Jesus, because He's the one that saves us and renews the Spirit that's in us. If you think all the way back to the book of Genesis, uh, when it says that God breathed into man, the breath of life. The word breath there, do you know what it means in the Hebrew? The spirit of life. So all the way back at creation, God had actually breathed the Holy Spirit into Adam and Eve because it says he breathed into them the breath of life and man became a living soul. This is what distinguishes us from animals. Animals have a body and they have a spirit, but they have no soul. God breathed into us the Holy Spirit into Adam and Eve. But what happened? God said that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that the day that they eat thereof, they would surely die. You know what died inside of them? The spirit. Because they became spiritually dead. And so now Jesus is speaking, he's saying, hey, listen, you cannot worship unless you have a living spirit inside of you. And the only way that you can have the living spirit in you is if you know Jesus Christ as your savior. Now, what about all the people prior to this? Did they have the living spirit? I believe that they were looking to the coming Messiah and they believed by faith that the spirit was there so that they could worship. 
But when we look at the Jews as a whole, uh, uh, they were worshiping, but they, th and they knew that they were supposed to worship God, but they had made the worship of God a ritual rather than a true heart of worship in spirit and in truth. And I'm afraid that today that many, many churches and even ourselves sometimes have relied so much on the ritual of worship that we miss the heart of worship that God desires for us to have. We're not the ones who determine the requirements for approaching God. He does. The, the Pharisees, they were trying to stipulate to the people, this is how you have to worship God. Hey, don't you know on the Sabbath day you better not do any work? Yet if one of their donkeys fell in a hole... On the Sabbath day, guess what they would do? Jesus used that as an example to them because Jesus was going around and he was healing people on the Sabbath day and they were upset at them at, at Jesus. How dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath? What's wrong with you? Don't you know we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath? But you guys would pull a donkey out of a pit if it got in there on the Sabbath, which also tells us that they were probably doing something that they weren't supposed to be doing because there was supposed to be no work for anyone according to their law. And to, according to the interpretation of the law that they gave. And see, the, the Pharisees had come in, and then the religious priests had come in, and they had changed the law of God, and they had changed the worship of God to fit what they thought it should be. And so they were never truly worshiping the true God of the Word of God. They were worshiping God out of ritual, but not out of spirit and not out of truth. Jesus gives us two specifics in the verses for worship. Number one, he tells us to worship in spirit. In order to worship God in spirit, our spirit must be made alive by the Holy Spirit. We must be born again, saved, revived spiritually, and enabled by Him to come into His presence in the first place. It's impossible to worship a God who is a spirit if a person is not first spiritually alive. And so this is where the moment of uh, salvation comes in. This is what we have to understand. You could go through all the religious motions, but it will get you nowhere in life if you don't know Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. He said that we cannot do, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He says, if you want to be able to worship God correctly, you have to have the Spirit inside of you. That means that you have to have salvation. The Spirit has to be revived in you. The Spirit is dead inside of you if you don't know Christ. But when you come to Him, your spirit is made alive by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13, Hereby know that we dwell in Him, and He in us. Why? Because He has given us His Spirit. To worship God in spirit means that our spirit must be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We should be able to sense that the Holy Spirit is praying with us, speaking to us, prompting us, aiding us, convicting us, and glorifying God through us. The moment that the woman at the well understood that what Jesus was saying 
We're going to see exactly what she says. Look what happens in John 4, 25 through 26, and then 28 and 29. And the woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah has com- cometh. What does she just recognize? Because look what, what, what he just, what, what she says very next, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speaketh unto thee am he. So she recognizes that a Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I want you to see I'm the Messiah. Then look what she responds with. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, what men do you think she went to go tell? Specifically, she went to go tell her five previous husbands and the man that she was living with today. I believe the rest of the city came, but I believe that she had a specific mission to go to those specific people that were in her life that she knew needed to know about this Messiah. And this calling is still the same for us today. God, yes, is it important for us to go and preach the gospel to everyone? Yes, but God has put very specific people in your life that you have an influence on that nobody else in this church has influence on. And God has called you to drop the water pot and go and tell them all that Jesus has done for you and revealed in your life to reach them specifically. The last verse says, Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And so she recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. She recognizes him as her Savior. Now she will be able to worship him in spirit and in truth because she has recognized Christ and she's repented of her sin and turned to him as her Savior. At this moment, she understood that Jesus was the Christ and that the Holy Spirit had come alive in her. She had received the gift of salvation and the power of the Spirit. She understood true worship because she was now worshiping in spirit and in truth. The second thing he tells us. First is what? Worship in spirit. And the second thing is worship in truth. The second part of the command is to worship God in truth. If you're coming to church just to go through the motions... God already knows your heart and he knows what you are offering him in worship is a lie. God would rather you come to him honestly with a broken worship than for you to come with him with a phony fake picture of worship. God takes the matter of true worship very seriously. If you were to go to Acts chapter five, we're not going to look at the scriptures today. There's a two people, a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira. They tried to worship God with deceptive motives and by lying to the Holy Spirit. And God sent shockwaves through the church when both of them were struck dead because they lied to the Spirit. Now, I'm I'm thankful that God's merciful to us. What was going on with Ananias and Sapphira? Well, when you come to the end of Acts chapter 2, it says that they all believed uh, what the apostles had preached and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And they sold all things so that they could have all things common. And you continue to go on and you find out that that became a common pattern in the church that people would sell things in order to help take care of the needs of the church. And so Ananias and Sapphira had heard uh, that Barnabas had sold a large uh, piece of property. And so they said, you know what, we're going to sell a large piece of property as well. And then we're going to come and we're going to say that we gave it all to Jesus. But they, all, they held, held back a portion. 
I don't think that God was displeased that they held back a portion. The fact was, though, that they came in order to show off in front of the church and say, we gave all this. And then they were asked, did you really give everything that you sold that property for? Oh, yes, we did. It was a false worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I know sometimes I'm guilty of false worship, of going through the motions, of just saying, okay, well, I have to go and I have to preach the message. Oh, I've got to go to the altar and I've got to pray. I've got to do these things. No, I don't have to do these things. I should want to do those things. Why? Because of everything that Jesus did for us. It goes hand in hand with what we were looking at in Sunday school this morning. I should do everything that God commands me to do and avoid everything that he tells me to avoid. Why? Because I should be thankful for everything that God has done for me, and I should do that in an act of worship and showing him that I love him because he first loved me. You know, God knows what motivates your heart. God knows what motivates your heart. It's it's very interesting. It's not to say that uh, people aren't genuinely worshiping. But again, if you don't have the Spirit, you cannot truly worship God because you don't know God. You can go through the motions, but it does nothing for you. There's many people around this world who, who worship other things other than God. And what does it do for them? You know, we, we don't necessarily see it around here unless you're looking closely we don't see idols uh set up on the side of roads with fruit and all sorts of things put by it but you go you go to the vietnamese restaurant you ever been in there and they have a big statue in there and they got food and soda and cigarettes and everything else that they are offering to the idol what good does it do what happens to the food it rots what happens to the incense that they're burning? It, it burns down. Does it do anything for them? No. But neither does false worship of God. It does absolutely nothing for you. It's not pleasing to God. It's not something that God looks at and says, oh, wow, this is wonderful. Look at all the worship that they're doing. But they're doing it with the wrong motives. They're doing it apart from knowing me as their God thinking that if they worship me this way, that they know me, that it's going to merit some favor. But what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. When he offered the woman at the well the living water, he's saying this is the only way that you'll be able to worship. You guys are worshiping, but you don't know what you're worshiping. The Jews are worshiping, and they know who they're worshiping, but they're not worshiping according to the way that God wants them to worship because they've rejected me as their Savior. That's the Spirit. And the truth is God knows our heart, and He knows the motives behind our heart when we come to worship Him. He knows if you just walk into the doors of the church saying, well, I just want people to see me. I just want people, we talked about this last week. We preached about this last week. Pastor, why are we repeating this? Because I think that God has an important message and Jesus gave this command for a certain reason and he wants us to understand 
The only way that we can worship God is in spirit and in truth. First John 16, I'm sorry, First Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For the Lord, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What does it mean to worship in truth? It means that, hey, God, I'm going to come to you truthfully in my worship. Amen. If I'm broken, I'm going to come to you broken. If there's bitterness in my heart, I'm going to come and I'm going to confess that because I realize I cannot worship you as long as there is bitterness in my heart. If, if there's someone I need to ask forgiveness for, God, I need to ask forgiveness for it because I realize that I cannot worship you properly because I'm not being truthful about who you are in my life and what others have done in my life. To worship in truth means that we are being truthful with ourselves where the state of our worship is. You know, God says that He desires for us to have a broken and a contrite spirit. He would rather us come in brokenness than to come with a flashiness and a show of worship when we're not truly worshiping Him. And thank God it's not like it was in Acts chapter 5 where when you worship and you're not being truthful in your worship, God strikes you dead immediately. Why? Because God's a merciful God. Because I... Maybe it's a strong guarantee, but it's a, it's a guarantee that none of us would be standing in here today. If we were truthful. Because how many times have we just gone through the motions of worship? But That's not what God wants from us. You know, it's a beautiful thing to come to church. It's a beautiful thing to watch and see people who are true, truly wanting to worship Him. You know, this ties right into what we looked at last week with loving God with everything. You see, our expressions of worship should be a reflection of our love for God. That's what worship should be all about. And I'll just be honest. If we're up here and we're singing songs in our hearts, not God, I just want to worship you. And it becomes a, it's all about me show. Then there's no reason for us to be up here singing. And sometimes we get in that place. I had a little conversation with my son, Alton, before service. Can I do this? No. Oh. Can we sing this? No, not this time. Oh. And I just finally said, look, if that's going to be your attitude, then there's no reason for you to sing up here. Because the whole purpose of being up here to sing is not about you. The whole purpose of me being up here to preach is not about Aaron McBride. The whole purpose of Marty playing the guitar today is not about Marty. It's not about Laurel. It's not about anybody up here on this platform. It's about worshiping God. Now, can our worship be beautiful? Yes. Can it be professional? Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of professional worship teams out there. When God looks at them and says... I don't even know why you show up to church. You're not here to worship me in truth. You're here to be seen by men. 
You're here to be seen by people. That's not what our worship's about. Now, do I rejoice when I see people worshiping God and praising God and seeing hands raised to heaven and people come to the altar with a broken spirit and crying? Yeah, I praise God for it. But it shouldn't be to come up and be a show to the pastor or to the people of this church. It should be, God, I genuinely want to worship you in truth. When we come into his presence of worship, he already knows the condition of our heart towards him. We can't lie to him. We can only deceive ourselves and those who see nothing other than our outward actions. But God ponders the heart. He knows. He even says, you know what? The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God can. You ever said the words, well, God, you, you know I'm being sincere. And you say that to somebody else, you, I am sincerely, you, you know I'm being sincere when I tell you this. And, and, and can we be sincere? Sure we can. But God also knows our heart. He knows what turns our heart away from him. He knows what turns our minds away from him, our lives away from him. And we better never stand up and say, I know my heart. I know how much I love God. Do you, though? Because if we can't even understand our own heart, do we really know how much we love God? I mean, look at Peter. Jesus, I'll never forsake you. I'm going to stand with you. If I have to die with you, I'll die with you. You think Peter was sincere when he said that? You think he believed that? But what happened? He denied him. Three times. But you know what God did in that situation? He broke Peter's heart. He let Peter see who Peter really was. And then he turned around that brokenness and he used Peter in a great way to preach at Pentecost. And 3,000 souls came to know Jesus. But you see, even in our worship, sometimes we need to be broken. Oh, is it good to come and praise him when that things are good? Absolutely. But sometimes there also needs to be a brokenness. I'm going to tell you, this week it was difficult. As a pastor, it was difficult. From Renee having her struggles with vertigo, Monday, Paul and I getting ready, and then get the phone call, the house, the house is burned down. Mark, the things going on with him. Hannah, the things going on with her. And now... I will say this, I still believe that part of the reason why these things are happening is God's getting ready to do something great and amazing. And yes, I believe some of it is an attack of the enemy. But I can also tell you that in my own heart, it's also been used to spurn me to come to Jesus with a broken heart of worship. And say that God, even through all of these things, 
I know that you are good. And I know that you care for each and every individual who are going through these things in their lives right now. And God, I pray that they would praise you in it as well. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, I, I, I carried all those things with me this week. It hurt. I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm worn out. Why? Because the people I love are hurting. But I also know God's going to use all these things for His greater glory. And I can praise Him for that. And you can praise Him for that. Because He's so good. God desires real worship. Real worship isn't always pretty. It isn't always polished. Sometimes it includes pain and brokenness and raw emotion. So often our worship becomes tainted with the desire to be noticed by others or to perform for the church. Or it's clouded by guilt over sin that we've carried with us into worship. This isn't truly the pure, holy, blameless worship from the heart that God desires. And I started this morning with this same question. Do you need to confess your sin before you begin worship? Do that. Do you need to kneel in the presence of a holy God? Do that. Do you need to ask forgiveness with someone that you've offended before you worship? Do that. Let nothing hinder your worship. Or it won't be worship. It will simply be religious activity that's not worthy of your time or God's. You think God takes worship serious? And I'm going to tell you, I, I just... The more I dive into God's Word and the more I realize how far we've come away from the New Testament church. The more and more I want to just cling to this word more and follow it. You look at and I can't judge anybody's motives. I think that there's probably churches who do worship a little bit different than we do that are truly worshiping God. But I wonder how much of our churches in the United States are just really worthless worship. I wonder how much in our own lives we're worshiping God worthlessly. It's been a challenge to me. When we start looking at these commands of Christ, I tell you, there's a reason why he said to observe and teach whatsoever things I've commanded you. Because they get to the heart of the matter. We also see, I mean, every week that we've looked at the commands of Christ, we see that it points to the gospel. But it also points to a change in our lives as his disciples. And we better keep on hanging on to our seats because we've got a lot more commandments to look at. But the command today, worship in spirit 
and in truth.